Let's take the Word of God and open it with me, if you would please, to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter number 16. It has been good to be in God's house today. It's been encouraging. It has been comforting. And I am thankful that we have the divine privilege of coming into the presence of our God and worshiping Him and reminding one another that we are purchased possessions by the blood of Christ. Leviticus chapter number 16 Uh, Let's go ahead and stand to our feet out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. Leviticus chapter number 16. I'll just be reading the first four verses and then I will go over to verse number 11 and 12. Leviticus chapter number 16. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered before the Lord... And died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times unto the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And he shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and he shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with a linen miter shall he be attired. These are holy garments, therefore shall he, shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. And then look with me at verse number 11. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And shall make an atonement for himself and for his house. And shall kill the bullock of the sin offering which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord. And his hands full of sweet incense beaten small. And bring it within the veil. Father we pray that you would expound your word in our hearts here this morning. And Father, your servant, I pray that you would empty me of myself, that you would crucify my flesh here this morning, and Lord, that you would fill me with the power of your Holy Ghost. I ask, Lord, that you would anoint my lips of clay, that they might speak not that which I would say, but instead that which you would say. And Father, that your word would pierce our hearts this morning, and if there be any that are uncertain of their salvation today. Lord, I pray that you would convict them, open their eyes, that they might be saved. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. This passage is interesting to me because it deals with the high priest of Israel, a man by the name of Aaron. Aaron was that first high priest serving with his family member Moses, When the Lord began to set out the tabernacle and that place in which the presence of God would dwell, I imagine that many of us here this morning are quite familiar with that tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, it signified the presence of God. You remember learning about as God would lead His children there in the wilderness as they had been delivered from Egypt, that He would lead them 
with a pillar of cloud by day, and as the sun set low in the horizon, and day became night, that the people might see the presence of God. There was a pillar of fire that would lead them by day. And from a distance, they saw this cloud lifted up above them. And at night, they saw this fire lifted up above them. But there was distance between them and God, although they could see visually his presence there. But there was a place. There was a place where one man could enter into the very presence of God, where, they, where he, on a very special day called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, that he, under certain conditions, could come through the veil which separated the holy place of God to the holiest of holies. And on that day, the high priest and he alone could enter in after making proper preparation and there enter into the the very presence and in close proximity to that Shekinah glory of God. And we read that God would dwell in that place. And at the verse end of verse number two, he says, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. And in that place, the holy of holies sat the Ark of the Covenant on top of the Ark of the Covenant, this, uh, this bowl, if you will, called the Mercy Seat, which is then covered by two golden cherubim, uh, that they would cover that Mercy Seat with their very wings. And above that Mercy Seat, in between those two wings, is where that cloud of God's presence would appear. And with fear, with trepidation, Aaron would enter in and he would enter into the presence of God. But in verse number 2, I see an interesting truth. Had the Lord said to Moses, to speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat. That is to say, God was instructing Moses that he might go to this high priest Aaron and say, you are not allowed in. Not permitted to be in the presence of God. That you are forbidden to come close to your maker, to come close to the Almighty One, to come close to the Holy One of Israel, that you are not allowed in the presence of the Creator God, that you are not allowed to seek His face, you are not allowed in that mystical place in which He was there, present with man and man present with Him. But this is God speaking to Moses, and He says, Tell Aaron he is not allowed in. Well, there are many times in my life where I have wanted to be a part of something, but I was not allowed. Perhaps we could all relate to that feeling, even as we go back to our younger days uh, when we were teenagers at school, how uh, there were perhaps certain people that you wanted to be able to hang out with. There was a certain crowd or a certain clique, and you would look at them from a distance across the lunchroom and say, oh, I wish I could hang out with them because they were so cool. Yet it was clear, <laughs> you were not allowed in. It come time to apply for those colleges and as a, a senior having worked so hard uh, with your academics and your extracurriculars, you begin to apply to different colleges and universities only to get letters back that you are not allowed in. 
Or so many people feel when they pass a church house that those doors are closed and to them that they are not allowed in. And that is the message to Aaron here in verse number 2. That he is not permitted in. That he is not allowed in. That there is a God who is gracious and a God who is merciful. That there is a God who is robed in glory and has majestic strength and power. That there is a God who is real. But that God was saying, you Aaron, are not allowed in. And I would like to preach on that topic this morning. Not allowed in. In. Many of us feel that we would love to be able to come in the presence of God. And, and I would say that in a large part of humanity, they feel that they can just waltz straight into God. Or they could go in giving God a high five and a handshake and, and experience unity with God. But yet God tells Aaron that he's not allowed in. This may seem to be a contradiction with most of Scripture and with a great portion of it because we teach and we preach in many ways that, that all can come in. Doesn't even the Lord Jesus Christ say, all ye that are weak and, and heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. Is that not an invitation of God to come in? Are there not other parts of the Bible where the Lord seems to fling open the doors of His presence and request that we come and dine and we sing that song, Come and dine, the Master calleth, Come and dine. In fact, we even read verses of Scripture like 1 Timothy chapter number 2 and we read that this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God and Savior who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. Oh, we read that he gave himself a ransom for all. We see in 1 John chapter number 2 that he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So cannot everyone come in? But yet to Aaron he says, you cannot come in. In Romans chapter number 5, he says, Therefore, as the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. But even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men. So cannot all come in? But to Aaron, he says, you cannot come. Is this because of... Aaron's sin, but doesn't the Bible tell us in the book of Romans chapter 5, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Doesn't 1 Timothy chapter 1 tell us this, that this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So why is it that the words of Christ and the words of the apostles seem to be saying, come in, come in, come in, come in, come in. But to Aaron, he says, you cannot enter in. Why is this? Why was Aaron not allowed to enter in? And, and, and why is it that at the beginning of this chapter, the whole thing is preceded by this mentioning of Aaron's two sons? And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death 
of the two sons of Aaron when they offered before the Lord and died. And we see this truth burst onto the entry of this chapter that there was some kind of event where Aaron's sons tried to enter in to the presence of God, but yet the way in which they enter, entered caused judgment to come upon them. And in fact, we learn that they were consumed by fire. Is not allowed in. And I would submit to you here this morning that you and I are not allowed in unless we understand that there is only one way in. Jesus Christ himself says it this way in John chapter number 10. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, sheep, sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Listen, friends, there is only one way in. There is only one door. Jesus said that he is that door. I am the door by me. If any man enter in... He shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus says it this way in another portion. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And I want you to be well aware that not everyone is going to enter in. For there is a way that is broad and there is a way that is narrow. There is a door that we can enter in and there is a wall that you can attempt to climb over but the ends thereof are the ways of death. And Aaron and Aaron's sons needed to understand that there is only one way that they were allowed in. I'd like to take this passage and illuminate this truth. First off, I want to examine the common error. Let's take a look at the common error. In verse number one, we're brought into this story and, and it almost seems like it, like it interrupts the flow of, of the book because this story is not what we see in verse number 15. In fact, we'd have to go all the way back to Leviticus chapter number 10 to find out what happened with Aaron's sons, two men by the name of Nadab and Abihu. But yet here they show up. When Moses gives instruction of how Aaron has to enter in. And we read in verse number one that these two sons died when they offered up before the Lord. And their error was this, that here they were serving in the tabernacle and they were looking towards this place of the holy place and the holiest of holies. And, and if I could just make a long story short, they took upon themselves a task, a role that was not given to them. It was a task that was only given to Aaron, the high priest, or Moses. And they decided that, uh, that they were going to be the ones to fulfill this task. And God had given the direction to Moses and to Aaron to light the, this, this altar of incense. And the way that that altar of incense was to be lighted, which was there in the presence of God in that holy place, that they would take a censer and they would go to this, to this altar and they would, they would first light it from the fires of that altar and then they would take that fire from the altar of sacrifice and then they would light that altar of incense. And then that incense was supposed to be a sweet smelling savor to the Lord. 
And what happened was, instead of allowing Aaron, the high priest, to do this, or Moses to do this, these two sons, in a very careless and and common manner, uh, just uh, lit their own fire. The Bible refers to it as as strange fire. And and they they lit this fire, and they come, and they they light this altar of incense, and they, they go into this holy presence of God, and immediately God brings judgment upon them. So I have it listed here on on the screen this morning as a common error because as I knock on doors and I have conversations about how people think they they get to heaven or how people approach God, it, it seems like people have lost the reverence for a holy God. Oh, they think that they're going to enter into the pearly gates and give God a a high five and God's going to hug them and, and say, hey, thanks for choosing heaven. But that's not the case. You see, there's a... There's something revealed in the names of of Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu. Nadab literally means generous. And don't we serve a generous God? Oh, His mercies, they're new every morning. Our God is generous. His grace is greater than our sin. Isn't our God generous? Oh, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Isn't our God generous? I've never seen his seed begging bread. Isn't our God generous? Oh, our God loved us first, even when we were unkind and and unloving and, and dead in our own trespasses and sins. Isn't our God generous? And yes, that name, Nadab, it means generous. But let's be reminded that that God's generosity should not be taken for granted. Nor should it be treated as something as common. But instead, his generosity should be viewed as something done by, by his grace and by his mercy. Not because we are on the same level of, of commonality with God, but instead something that our beneficent Father bestows even on those wicked and undeserving souls. But I can imagine Nadab having a much different view of God's generosity. The same view that so many um, men and women carry in this world today. They say, well, God is generous. He would never condemn a soul to hell. He would never bring judgment for sin to those whom he loves And friends, let me remind you that yes, our God is generous, but our God is just. And our God is holy. And there are so many people on this earth today who think that they can go in because God is generous. And they are not coming by the way of the cross. They have not placed their faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they stand condemned by his justice. And they will experience the judgment of God. And their greatest mistake is that they have fallen into the same common error that Nadab did. That God, since he is so generous uh, that I don't have to come uh, by faith believing. I, I don't have to come by way of the cross. My good works will outweigh my bad works. And God will see that and in his generosity, he will bestow on me heaven and I will enter in by my own merits. If that's your, if that is your approach, then friend, you couldn't be farther from the truth. 
Yes, God is generous, but do not make the common error of thinking that you are God's gift to heaven. Instead, you should be reminded that heaven is God's gift to you and it must be received by faith. Nadab's name meaning generous, Abihu. Abihu's name meaning he is my father. That's an interesting name if you were to ask me. He is my father. But my question is, who is your father? Forgive me, I wasn't intending to make any Star Wars references there. But who is his father? Who is his father? Because there's so many times when speaking with someone about the gospel of Jesus Christ and asking them if they're to go into heaven, people begin to refer to their family ties and their grandmother that loved the Lord and, and their parents that loved the Lord and how they were raised in a Christian home. And really what they are saying is that, hey, because of my parents, I can go in. And I'm here to tell you, you're not allowed in. Not on the merits of your parents. And, and if his name was an indication of his heart, that since Aaron was his father, and since Moses was his uncle, that he could get in on the merits of his family, he could not be farther from the truth. And this idea that since God was generous, and their family, they had family ties to those people that were close with God, that they could conduct themselves in a common way in the presence of God, and no wonder they, there was such judgment brought upon them, because they treated God in a common way instead of a holy way. This is a common error. We examine in this text the common error which did not permit them in. But now I must observe the cost of entry. The cost of entry. When I read verse number 2, I see this, this prohibitive nature concerning the presence of Aaron there with God. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. And I'm struck once again at the holiness of God as a sinful man were to attempt to walk into his presence uninvited. But then I'm encouraged by the first two words of verse number three. It says, Thus shall. Thus shall. In other words, there is a particular way in which Aaron could go in. It wasn't that he was prohibited under all circumstances for all time. But thus shall, here is the way that he can go in. And, and there's this peculiar list of things that must be done. Verse number three, thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. 
He shall put on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh. And he shall be girded with a linen girdle and with a linen mitre shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on. And after doing these things, we learn in this passage that then and only then can Aaron come in. That at that stage he is allowed in. In other words, there is a cost of entry and we learn that this cost of entry is that first and foremost a bullock a young bullock the bible tells us uh, must be offered for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering Uh, he must take this uh, take this animal and he must sacrifice this animal and take the blood of that animal that it would stand as a, as a covering for his sin and, and that sacrifice would stand as a sacrifice to pay the cost of his entry. And in this we see and learn what the writer of Hebrews was saying in chapter number 9, verse 22, when it says that almost all things are by the law purged with blood And without shedding of blood is no remission. But after sacrificing that bullock, after sacrificing that animal, then Aaron could go in. This was the mistake of Nadab and Abihu. As they approached uninvited and they approached without the proper sacrifice and without the right way. And I am here to remind you this morning that not all roads lead to God. Uh, You cannot come by the way of Muhammad and get to God. You cannot come by the way of Buddha and get to God. You cannot come by the way of, of Confucius or by the way of mysticism or by the way of paganism and get to God. For there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. And Nadab and Abihu, they discovered that firsthand as fire descended from above to consume them in judgment. And those who attempt to come to God By their own way. By the way of their own righteousness. By the way of their own works. By the way of their own deeds. Will only find judgment. So well Pastor Jared why is that? Because sin must be paid for. It must be paid for. It cannot just be removed. If God were to just remove sin without a sacrifice, He would not be a just God. For His grace had to be paid by a judgment of some kind. And here the Lord is teaching Israel and is instructing Aaron and is instructing Moses that there is a cost of entry. And that cost of entry was a sacrifice. In this case, the sacrifice was a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a bird offering. In other words, the life of those animals had to be taken so that Aaron would be able to be allowed into the presence of God. Oh, that sacrifice was made and Aaron did enter in and then was able to, to be there in the presence of God. But thanks be to God, there was another sacrifice that was made. For the Bible teaches us that this is just a pattern of those things to come. 
For those things could not take all of sin for all of mankind. For the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number 10, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. And every priest standeth daily ministering, offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. And this with Aaron, and this was with Nadab and Abihu and Moses, it was just a picture of what was to come. And as that bullock was sacrificed so that Aaron could go in, it was just a picture so that we would all be able to see that one day another sacrifice was going to be made. And this sacrifice was not limited. It was not limited to the blood of that bull. But this sacrifice was going to be potent so that this sacrifice could cover the sins of the whole world. And that sacrifice was the man, Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10 says it this way, but this man, Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, forever sat down on the right hand of God. And it tells us in that same chapter, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. He is saying that we can go in, that we are allowed in, that the door is open for us to come into the presence of God, into the holiest of holies. But there is a cost of entry, and the cost is Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you're saying, well, Pastor Jared, I don't think God's ever heard my prayers, or are you coming by the blood of Jesus Christ? So, well, Pastor Jared, I don't think that I've ever been in the presence of God. Well, you must you must receive the cost of entry. Oh, how many of the people I've counseled with and I've spoken to and I asked them, I said, have you ever prayed and asked the Lord to save you? And they say, oh, I pray every day. But they've never received the cost of entry. And in their ignorance unknowingly every prayer that they have ever prayed has bounced right off the ceiling and back down. Because they have not received the cost of entry. And I wonder for you that are here today, has your entry been paid? It is amazing to me that a God that is as holy and righteous as the Bible says that he is, it is amazing to me that man can come before that God and stand in his presence. It seems like in the culture that we live in today, the nature of God and the attributes of God, his love has been magnified and he is love. The Bible teaches us that. And His mercy has been glorified, and it should be, for He is merciful, and His mercy endureth forever. And we have rested in the bosom of His grace, and we should, for His grace is greater than all of our sin. The Bible says that he is a friend that sticketh closer than a butt brother. And it, it seems that we have become so friendly with that loving, gracious, and merciful God. 
that we have forgotten that there is a cost of entry. And that cost was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God help us if we come together in the reverence of this sanctuary, not remembering that it was the blood of Jesus which paid the entry that we could come in. And God help us if we would have that same flippant attitude as Nadab and Abihu, that all, oh, since God is, is gracious and since, oh, my family are Christians, that, that everything is okay between us and the Lord. God help us if we don't recognize that the wrath of God abideth on the ungodly and that until we receive forgiveness by that payment of Jesus Christ, that the penalty of sin is still on us. Sin must be paid for. And I'll remind you that it's going to be paid for one of two ways. Oh yes, it's going to be paid for one of two ways. You that are common and familiar with, with the Bible and Christianity, you would say, well, Pastor Jared, I thought there was only one payment for sin. Yes, that's true. There is a payment in Jesus Christ. And he bore the sins of many. In fact, the Bible says that he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. We look to the cross and we hear those words of our Savior as he cries, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me as the wrath of God for our sins was poured out on him and we realize that on Calvary our sin was paid for. But there is another place in which the payment of sin is poured out. It is a place of wrath called the lake of fire which burneth forever and ever and ever and all of those who do not receive the payment that Jesus made for sin will pay for sin themselves. You say, well, Pastor Jared, isn't that a cruel thing that it lasts forever and ever and ever? That's because sin comes at a high cost. Oh, and we've deceived ourselves thinking, oh, well, we can just go in however we want. No, sin is a wicked, dark, and vile infection that courses through all of our veins. And there's only one remedy on this side of eternity, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why Aaron was not allowed in, except that the cost of entry was paid by that sacrifice. And lastly, I'll say this. Not just the, the common error and the cost of entry, but I noticed as a result of that cost of entry, there is a cleansing exchange. Notice what Aaron is instructed to do once that cost of entry is paid, once that sacrifice has been made. The Bible says in verse 4 that, that he shall put on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and he shall be girded with a linen girdle and with the linen miter shall he be attired. And then it makes this statement, it says, these are holy 
garments. And then he's instructed to do something as well. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and, and put them on. And there's this process where this sacrifice, this cost of injury is made. And, and then he's required to cleanse his flesh head to toe. I mean, scrub between the fingernails and toenails. Get as clean as you can. And then put on this garment, this linen garment, this, this garment that is, that is white and pure and clean. Remember how I told you that what Aaron was required to do was just a picture of a spiritual reality that would come later. And that sacrifice, a picture of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ was one day going to make. But that cleansing of his body and that linen garment, which is described as a holy garment twice in verse number four, is a picture of the righteousness that a believer receives when he accepts Jesus Christ. Do you realize that at the moment of salvation, there is an exchange that's made? I can remember when I was a, uh, when I was a little kid, um, I had learned about coins and, and money when I was at school. It was like first grade or something like that. I don't know, maybe it was junior high. And uh, they're, they're telling me about, you know, a quarter, that's 25 cents. They, all right, class, say it together. 25 cents. And then they pick up a dime and they would say, that dime, 10 cents. They say, all right, class, say 10 cents. And they, then they, I remember this like it was yesterday. It wasn't, but I remember it like it was. That my teacher, she picked up a nickel and she said, class, is this bigger or smaller than the dime? Just go, it's bigger. Yes. And she said, but it's not worth more. A dime is worth 10 cents and a nickel is only worth five cents. And then she said, now you all don't go home and trick your younger brothers and sisters and make them trade you all of their dimes for the nickels because it was bigger. And I thought, oh, that's genius. <laughs> so it's exactly what I did. I went home. I said, hey, Benj. It's my little brother. He's two years younger. He didn't know about dimes and nickels and quarters. And we went with our little piggy bags. I said, I'll trade you all of my nickels. These are bigger for all of your dimes. They're just like little and thin. He's like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my financial acumen was born in that moment. Still feel guilty about that. There's an unfair exchange. There's an unfair exchange. I mean, I know that I, that I was a kid, but quite frankly, if you were to look at Scripture, uh, an unjust balance is an abomination to the Lord. It's an unfair exchange. And we may be so forgetful of this, but there is another unfair exchange that was made. And it was the exchange between our sin 
and his righteousness. And that's the picture here as Aaron puts on this white linen garment. He washes his body. That linen garment and the soap and water that he uses to to cleanse himself and go into that holy place. It doesn't change his heart. But it was a picture of something that would one day come that would change our heart. And wouldn't just change our heart, but would change our identity. Wouldn't just change our identity, but change what kind of creature we are. For the Bible tells us that Christ, he took on our sin. He was made to be sin. And he said, here, give it to me. And he spread his arms on Calvary and all of our sin was poured out on him. And what's he saying? I'll trade you. I'll make an exchange. And he said, if you'll just receive, if if you'll let me receive your sin, then I'll let you receive my righteousness. And that's what that white garment is supposed to represent. That when we receive the cost of entry, that it makes us clean, that it makes us holy before God, that it makes us a new creature, that now in the eyes of God, when he sees us coming to that opening of his throne room, he doesn't look down and see our sin, he looks down and sees his son and he says, come in, come in come into me, in fact come boldly before my throne of grace by the blood of Jesus Christ, come in because you are allowed in, because you've been made righteous. You've been made holy. You have been made like me. Oh, and he says, come in, come in, come in. If you're listening to me this morning and you've already received Christ, oh, you ought to rejoice. You ought to never frown. You ought to duct tape the corners of your mouth to the tops of your head because you have been welcomed in. If you're here this morning and you thought that you could come in some other way, if you thought that you could come in by, by some baptism, you can't come in that way. If you thought you could come in by generally being a good person or church attendance, you can't come in that way. There is only one door There's only one way, and that's by receiving Jesus Christ by faith.